just got your asses whipped by a bunch of goddamn nerds. Hey, sports fans, welcome to Sports Nerds. Here are your hosts, Dr. Samuel J. and Dr. Brian Schrader. We'll kind of slow roll into this for sure. Oh, God. Oh, man. <sighs> Fuck. Okay, Brian. Uh, got my tickets to Michigan, Iowa, Michigan, first weekend in October. Don't don't so, don't sound so excited about it. Sports nerds uh, uh, on location. Hey, we need to talk not just, I mean, obviously going to the game, but um, I assume going to Founders or going to Bells doesn't make a lot of sense. So, so what places do we need to... Can we record an episode of of Unfiltered with you as guest host in in the in the area of Fenton, Michigan? What breweries do I need to be looking into? Yeah, um, there's one. Well, there's yeah, there's a couple. There's a couple. Okay, Fenton. Tell me, Fenton. Uh, uh, it's got it's got like wine and brew in the name. Fenton Winery and Brewery. Is that I right? See it here. That's yep. 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 What about this Lynchpin place? Lynchpin is like a it's a brewery, but it doesn't have a tap room. It's connected to it connected to a restaurant, but Okay. Hmm. It, it's also like uh the place has just amazing cocktails too. Okay. That's that's, that's actually the one that we should do. Okay. Far out. out. They're pretty cool. They are sweet. Yeah. All right. I and need then to... Northern Oak. Northern Oak, right here, right there off but in Holly, Michigan. That's right. Good us. Oh, that looks kind of cool. It is cool, yeah. Looks like a good place. Yeah, we're gonna mix the two podcasts together. Let's do it. What are your thoughts on um, hazy IPAs? I'm okay with them. I get to send them. Right I think I'm <coughs> over. Them. Sorry. I think I'm over them. I think I'm done. They're just. It's just too. It's like it's like eating an orange. It's like you're <laughs> drinking orange juice. I just I don't mean, like them. I let's don't know. call a spade a spade. It's just a shandy, right? Yeah, that's a good point. It is certainly just a shandy, hop or, or, or a beer mosa, but but that's something I'm a fan of. Oh, so you're down with that? Well, I mean, you know, a little. I, I don't really want to. I'm not the biggest Bloody Mary guy. I don't. I don't really like champagne, but a, a nice beer mosa with brunch. Yeah, it's really good. There's the, See, I, I, you get if you have the right sort of hop complexion. I think it it pairs well with uh, citrus juice, like a citra hop, for example. See, I can do I can do your beer podcast. You could do this pot. You'd be better than your brother. I can tell already. <laughs> Though he always tells me that the point of your podcast is that you, that you don't know anything about beer. That is you, the point. You guys are like your uh, your aliens from another planet learning about beer or something. Yeah, that's uh, that seems to be the, pro- that's your the, the process. That's the ethos. That's the perspective we take. I was on joking. Then you sit down. And you're like, so what is beer? Yeah, tell me, how does one make beer? Yeah, no, exactly. Have you sat through that explanation like 50 times? We did it the first time, and then we stopped asking it because it was so boring. Please don't. Yeah, I just don't care. I don't want to make my own beer. I just want to drink the beer that you make me. So You don't want to know how the sausage is made? I mean, I know. I see it. We go to these breweries. We see it. I just, I like a good hoppy beer, and I know that I've burnt all of my taste buds. And now I'm just a prick who likes really, really bitter beer. But I do. I like to be punched in the mouth, as they say, with some some good IPA-ness. Yeah. But anyhow, there's that. So Michigan will be out there uh, first weekend in October. Got the tickets. Going to be exciting flying into the big uh, big airport that is Flint, Michigan. So I'm sure Michael Moore flew in there a time or two. It's, it's huge. Honored. airport. 
Is there a mural of Michael Moore? Is he strum flat? No, <laughs> uh, not as far as I know. There's no, there's no mural. Um, okay, well. you know, I think my favorite story about that airport, or one of my two, my my two favorite stories about that airport, when people ask about it, one is uh, my buddy of mine, Jason. Uh, he flies. He has a little Cessna that he flies. Okay, and uh, he's got a a hangar at the the, the airport in Flint is, is Flint Bishop International Airport. And he has a hangar there and he flies off the same runways as these jetliners that you're going to fly in on. Are you serious? Yeah, I swear. You just taxi over there. And he has just like this weird little back entrance that he can go in. And the first time I saw it, I was like, so you could just drive your car on the runway from here, right? And he's like, yeah, totally. That's the that's, that's that airport. That's how small it is. That is tiny. Yeah. My second favorite flown? story about that. Sorry? Have you flown with him? No, I've never flown with him. No. Okay. No. He, well, to, he always says I go fly with him, but I never have. You should fly us to Bells. Uh, his plane holds two people. He'd have to fly us, drop one off. <laughs> Come back, get the other one. Go back, get the other one. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. What was the other story? Continue. Oh, just what I uh, to, to describe how small it is is that one time I was there and uh, was flying my debater somewhere, and we were about to go through security, and I was like, "Oh, damn! I I forgot my sunglasses in my car," which at any other airport would mean like, "Well, you're not you're not taking your sunglasses with you, right?" But this Correct. airport's so yeah. small. All it meant was. I had to take a two minute walk down the stairs. I could see my car from security. It's just looks like a Safeway parking lot. You know, was that's hilarious. Went out, got well, my sunglasses. I, I was back in three minutes. I am excited. So if I land at three Oh four, we should, you're saying we should have a beer by three 30. <laughs> nope. Well, I mean, if you get one there, yeah. It's across the highway from a brewery. In fact, Oh my God, it's going to be a blast, everybody. So <laughs> Iowa fans, Michigan fans, if you listen, let's uh, let's coordinate. And uh, it's looking like it's a 10 a.m. game. We were looking at the at the schedule. It's Michigan's homecoming. No, because... it's, it's noon out here, though. Oh, okay. But still, that's uh, – oh, what am I thinking? Yeah, that, that's still a, a, an early game. And so what's, what's – do we get up early? Do we tailgate? How do we do this? The tailgating down there is crazy. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'll have to make sure I that same buddy Jason has a guy down there that I, I went to a tailgate tailgate once, which is the most insane thing I've ever seen. Am I going to get beat up? Is there a chance I get beat up? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, good. good. But I don't know. I worry about Michigan. I got your back. Worry. Man. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. I worry about you people out there. You know, we're just, I'm just a simple Iowan who uh, you know likes likes his eight and four football seasons. And uh, what do you, what, a, do you, what do you look like at a football game? It's like an Iowa jersey and some. Uh, denim overalls straw oh brian i am a big (laughs) uh i don't believe that adults should wear jerseys oh okay yeah that's uh that's that's one of my things (laughs) adults should wear jerseys no 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 no. you're gonna get some gonna get some hate tweets from that man from well wearing adults Dan and I have already had a pretty heated conversation or argument <laughs> about it at the Giants Rockies game. Oh, I just can't, I, that includes yeah, baseball yeah. jerseys. Oh, I wear baseball jerseys. No, you can't. I can't. Can't wear a jersey. You know what jersey yeah, adults should not wear? Basketball jerseys. Uh, oh gosh. Yeah. Agree. But beyond um, that, I'm okay with it. You're fine with it. Even uh, maybe that's 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 what kind of led me into this uh, this disdain for the adult wear. Uh, the adult jersey wear is the NBA jersey. Yeah. Or even the, you show up an NBA game wearing an, an NBA jersey with you know nothing underneath, just just you know the, the guns hanging out. I'm not, I'm not in. Yeah. What what professional sport requires the fan to dress up the most? Requires. I mean, would you say I don't want? I, let's not say requires, but if Oakland you went Raiders to a live event, if you went to a live event, what per, like what would have the highest percentage of well dressed? Uh, uh, 
viewers. Well dressed is confusing. Attendees. Well dressed, like maybe some okay. slacks. Slacks and a. Oh, which sporting event would you be most? I like the Kentucky Derby or something. No, no, no. It's got to be a professional sport. Is the NBA? Is it? Is it? NHL? Is it? NHL or NFL? MLB? See, I would. None? I would say the. I would say the NBA or the NHL. You think so? I remember going to Stars games, man, and even Mavericks games, seeing a lot of people dressed up. And it also it could also be because of where these places are. Yeah, I, I think, think you get a lot of like the the business just folks. got off of work business wearing dudes. You see this in the playoffs all the time, which cracks me up is the dude who just came from his office or, or whatever is, you know, wearing slacks and a, and an Oxford shirt or whatever. And then they give you that free shirt you're supposed to wear. So it's, you know, blew out the stadium and he's put it on over his Oxford shirt. With you know the, with the uh, yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> or the, a Jersey uh, on over the Oxford shirt. If you know, you're going yeah. to the game man, just, just bring a gym bag and change in the bathroom before you go. It's not that hard. So you go that far. Wow. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know how I feel on it. Feel about it, I but I don't. I know I don't like wearing short pants in the summer and jeans in the winter. I don't have a lot of my uh, my wardrobe. There's not a, a wide spectrum. Looks at all. Looks pretty much the same. Yeah, me too. I've got t-shirts, um, some uh, uh, wicking. What do you call them? Dry fit. Yeah, polo shirts and just some shorts. Some golf shirts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've got golf shorts. Golf shirts for sure. I keep it pretty simple. I'm not not trying to impress anybody. With uh, with my attire, this segment um, called "In Your Closet" with Sam and Brian, brought to you by. Hey, we're slow rolled into this, man. I've got a whole nother. I was going <laughs> to throw you a curveball if it gets slow, so I still got it. I've, I've got it here, um, so I'll wait. But let's uh, let's jump into some some things. We're going to do a sports nerds pick 'em, so NFL pick 'em. Caleb Williams suggested that we do it, and I think he's spot on. So I've already got it set up, and we'll run it through the runyourpool.com site. Uh, we'll send information to folks here in the coming weeks, but. Much like the EPL Pick'em that ended up having a lot of participation, but only four people that really gave a shit by the end of it, um, I'm assuming the NFL will be a little bit more intense. And so we'll just go through and pick games every week based on the spread, and we'll share information about that. I think we should require an entry, don't you, Brian? Like 15 bucks or something, sure. and then, yeah, see how many folks we get in there. Could be good. So we'll do an NFL Pick'em. We'll set that up. Um, aside from that, I don't Is have any other the, the knockout game Pick'em? Which one is the the pick ems like where you have to pick one winner each week and you can't pick the same? No, 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 guys. no. You you pick them all. You pick them all. You pick all the games. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, then it's just best record. What's the game I'm talking about? I like that game too. Your um, knockout. It's e or something. Nah, it, it's just ESPN's pick them. That's what they call it. Uh, or daily pick them or something like. I was going to say if it's if it's that game, fifteen bucks. Someone's going to win a lot of money. Well, I guess in yeah, either yeah. case, someone is. That's a fun game too. So it is. It is. No, you're good. I've, I participated in football more than any other sport. Like I enjoy it thoroughly and I watch it. I mean, you're not even that big of an NFL dude, but then as soon as it's over, I just like totally clear my hard drive of it. And then every, yeah. every August I'm like, Oh, I have to re-remember football and stuff. And it's hard for me. No, I think I'm the same way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I definitely feel that way. Um, I, I have, you know, I think I, I talk a big game about not liking the NFL, <laughs> but I know that I do watch it and I will watch it if it's on TV um and you know i've i've moved past that you don't have a team that's all yeah i don't have a team but um same thing you know once the super bowl's over i just don't give a shit but well it's hard there's so by. much I mean, it's, it's over and you're like oh bummer the football's over or whatever but then it's basketball is kind of heating up because it's it's pretty boring the first couple months same with hockey 
and then mm-hmm. and then March Madness and stuff. So you know, football yeah. ending, you're not. At least for me, I'm not like, oh, this is sad, you know. And then opening day too. It's and then opening day is right around the corner. Yeah, the end of football. You know, it's spring and uh, renewal and all that. And all that stuff, all that good stuff. Uh, you know, quick talk, uh, quick update on MLB standings. Um, you and I had a bit of a of a shit talking text conversation <laughs> about the Red Sox. Uh, what is their They've issue? Lost more games pitching? since then. Is it pitching? Like they just have no pitching because they're they're obviously oh, yeah. hitting the shit out of the ball. They've given okay. up the most runs in the. No, that's not right. Second or third most runs in the AL. Yeah, they're, they're Are you they give up runs. But they've scored the most runs in baseball. No, second most runs in baseball to the Yankees. <clears throat> Is that or correct? Seven hundred sure. runs. Yeah, yeah. That's no, a lot I mean, of they, they 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 hit the ball like crazy. I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean. Yeah, when we, when I was talking shit the other day, they were they were within striking distance. Now they're eight and a half games out of the wild card with thirty whatever, thirty eight to play or whatever it is. So yeah, it looks pretty tough. Some serious shit. There's not much of a race there for sure. Um, gosh, man, the Twins continue to play well, but I don't know if you I saw a stat last night. I was watching the Cleveland uh, Sox game, and Cleveland has the best record since June first. Did you see that? Yeah. But they've also played uh, – who have they played the most? I was uh, Kansas City and oh, Detroit. Oh, like, Detroit they like yeah. A, yeah, they've got like a 21-3 and three record against them over that span. So The AL standings, if you, if you get into them at all, are really kind of crazy. For example? Uh, well, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams with a, a positive run differential. Yeah, I And those that. teams are all above 500. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams with games uh, with a run differential that's that's negative, and those teams, but those teams are all under 500, which is kind of as it should be, but th- they're dramatically so, right? Detroit's yeah. at the bottom. This is a negative 230 run differential. Baltimore's negative 237. Like there is a a definite stratification or or bifurcation in the AL where the good teams are really good and the bad teams are really bad. The NL looks nothing like that, right? Where you've got no. kind of a mishmash of teams. You got a lot of teams hovering right around. Um, you know, the, the Mendoza line or whatever of the um, uh, run differential. And, and so you've got this really competitive, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, six teams within six games of the, of the NL wild, wild card. I mean, the, the AL is virtually over, but uh, not true with the, with the National League. Yeah, this NL wild card race is pretty, I mean, it's insane. I mean, like you said, you cut the line off at Cincinnati, who's five and a half back in the wild card. But I think you could easily throw in San Diego there yeah. at seven. You never know. They're going to there. Let's be honest. They're probably out of it. But I mean, legitimately, there are just these three teams that are kind of out of it. The Rockies, the Pirates and the, the Marlins. <laughs> Even the Rockies, Gosh. nine and a half games. They've come back from more than that. Yeah. I Pittsburgh know. and Miami, I, I would say, are done. Yes. But I, would agree. I mean, I've said this on the podcast before, and I'm going to say it again right now. I think the Cincinnati team is is much better than they look. Their pitching is pretty good. Five, and a, half, five and a half games yeah. out. If you base it strictly on run differential, which I put a lot of stock in, that puts them on the bubble for the wild card when the season's over. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I think we've talked about Cincinnati several times on the show. They're They're kind of... They're there. They should be better. Um, I agree. We'll see what happens. The Mets, I mean, that's what's crazy. Oh, the Mets, Mets were, crazy. They, they're, they're on fire over the last, you know, since All-Star break. Dude, I'm looking at these teams. Um, you know, you can look at that stat, record against over 500 teams. Mm-hmm. And 
all of these teams that aren't necessarily leading their division are just really shitty against team against winning teams once you get outside of the brewers so the brewers are 36 and 29 against teams over 500 they're the only one not leading their division who has a winning record against a 500 team which is kind of crazy i guess it's not kind of crazy that's what you would expect but i i would even think that some of these wildcard teams like washington or st louis would have winning records against 500 or against teams at 500 or, or more but i don't know that's that's pretty wild um yes yeah, so i guess the same thing for the american league too Although Cleveland has a losing record against teams over 500. Who's fake? Who's fake in this thing? In the NL, I can tell you who's fake. Uh, Milwaukee and Philadelphia are both garbage. Milwaukee, I think everyone was surprised by, and they have just come back to reality over the last over the last 30 days or so. In the AL, I don't know. None of them? I don't. I mean, I don't know. Does Tampa Bay get punched in the mouth real fast if they get in there? Do the A's get punched? I mean, the A's, the, the Cubs got a – I mean, the A's had one game last week where they scored 10 or 12 against the Cubs, but those other two games, you know, the Cubs kind of put it on them. Is that is that, you know, are they the one that shouldn't be there? I don't know. It's, it's pretty clear, though, in my opinion, that there are – two fantastic teams in the AL being Houston and the Yankees. And when it comes to the NL, it's really just the Dodgers, man. Like I don't, I don't see how the Cubs can compete against the Dodgers in a seven game series. I don't see how Atlanta can compete against the Dodgers in a seven game series. And for, for sure, you know, Washington, St. Louis, I just don't see how they, they don't necessarily have the pitching staff. Philadelphia, I guess I, hmm, I could see them or the Mets as being the team that would surprise people though, just because of the pitching, the Mets in particular, but like, you know, Philly made some moves. They got Jason Vargas on there. It's I'm anxious to see what happens with Arietta because he wants to talk to management about what they're going to do. He's got a bone spur that's been bothering him. Um, but the I Mets, dude, I mean, the fucking the Mets are reminding us that they're the Mets from 2015 where they had that. I mean, they had, the best pitching staff in Major League Baseball. It was insane. And they're kind of, you know, Syndergaard and Mots have been really, really good. So we shall see what happens. Cincinnati's um, the only team in the National League to get has given up fewer than 500 runs on the season. And the second I know. closest team is St. Louis. I mean, you heard it here first. If I'm wrong, whatever, picking a team that, that that's that far out. But I don't want to see Cincinnati. The Dodgers. Dodgers have given up 456. Oh, Dodgers still have bullpen issues. That's the thing. The Dodgers are winning these fucking games by a lot of runs, but when their bullpen is there and has to show up, there's some questionable, some questions. You know, Kinley Jensen hasn't been fantastic. I don't know. We'll see. It's fun. This is my favorite time of the year. It's not because football's back. It's not because the NFL's back. It's because college football's back, and it's, you know, the last 30 games or so in Major League Baseball tend to be really exciting. This NL wildcard is going to be awesome. I'm th- you think we put people to sleep with our Major League Baseball talk? <laughs> staring at the standings. You know, so this is the time of yeah. year when you should start looking at the standings, right? Up until – if you're doing it before the 4th of July, there's there's no sense. But now is when you actually start have to – start. You, you, need, you have a big enough sample size. You need to figure out, you know, who's good and what team's deficiencies are in, in at least kind of more, more uh, macro kind of ways. Mm-hmm. And – the standings give you a lot of a lot of insights there. I think. Did I tell you about this uh, this thing you can do on Baseball Reference? They have like a, a daily email that they send out. 
that I don't know if it's if it's live now or if it's still in beta, but it's awesome. I'll have to we'll have to post this on on our social media. If if if, if you know you want a quick recap of what happened the day before and 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 headlines and it gives you standings and standout players and and everything and just one you know 30 30 second scannable digestible email every single day but and who does that baseball reference oh okay i didn't know that it's right yeah it was in beta at the beginning of the year when i signed up for it and i don't see it on their website now email list let me check it out yeah it, go, go look for it it's it's totally hmm. it, it's a real easy way like if you you're you know it's the summer you go camping or go to town or something and you, you're not getting to watch baseball or watch sports center or whatever. You just open this thing in the morning when you're pooping and you're good. You're caught up. You're there. You're all caught up. That's cool. That's, Oh, there it is. Are you a stat head? Subscribe, subscribe to our newsletter. Is that right? Yeah. Wait, okay. maybe, maybe that's not it. Well, if you find it, share it. Cause I'm interested. I think that I'm is intrigued. It. I think that is it. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Hey, let's jump into our to our big story um, of of this week, which gained Antonio Brown track. freezing his feet in cryotherapy. No, we're not going to talk Antonio about Brown Antonio Brown quitting over his helmet. No, Bryson DeChambeau taking four minutes to sink a putt. No, that is not going to be it. Let's talk. Let's 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 talk about uh, Rich Paul and the NCAA. So, for those of you who uh, have not heard about this story, um, the NCAA. The National Collegiate Athletic Association. Is that right? Is that what it means? The NCAA? Never really. So when you said it with such authority, I assume that's right. I know. Um, I tried. They, uh, well, okay. Last week, they announced that they were changing some of the rules and regulations around college players uh, testing the waters to enter the NBA draft. And uh, one specific uh, point about that was that if an agent, excuse me, if a player chooses an agent to test those waters with him, that agent must have a college degree, so a BA, a bachelor's degree, as well as be certified with the NBPA for a minimum of three years. Then they also have to take this in-person exam at the NCAA office in Indianapolis. Now, this is not so. So here's here's the kind of sticking point. This does not mean that a player who gets an agent has to go into the NBA. Um, the previous rules, right, prior to the NCAA implementing this was you could go out, you could hire an agent, that agent could help you understand your potential as a draft pick and whether or not you wanted to go into the draft and therefore into the, uh, the NBA. Now, this new rule says if you do that, that, dra- that agent that you choose has to follow the protocol of having a bachelor degree, being a member of the NBPA, and then taking that test. Now, here is the crazy ass part of it, right? Or the kind of the, the, the part that, that has everybody up in arms is that uh, I guess a lot of folks are just reading this as an NCAA, the NCAA's way to kind of box Rich Paul, who's this kind of mega agent. Um, out of these kinds of discussions with college players who who are considering entering the NBA draft. I don't know if I explained that well, but basically Rich Paul is this guy whose clients include LeBron, Anthony uh, Anthony Davis, John Wall, Draymond Green, and Ben Simmons, but um, Rich Paul does not have a college degree. And so if you read between the lines, 
which I think a lot of folks are, the only reason why the NCAA would even put this rule in in place would be to keep Rich Paul and others like him uh, out of the conversation or out of this kind of uh, this process. Now, in the days since, uh, actually this happened yesterday, the NCAA uh, walked this rule back and they've actually flipped. And so uh, Rich Paul and others without a college degree will be able to represent these college players, these NCAA players who are considering entering the NBA draft and therefore the NBA. So yes, they've gone back on it, but I think that there, um, there's, some, there's some more conversation to be had about this. And so that's the, that's the summation of it. Um, I'll turn it to you, Brian Schrader, on your thoughts, because I know you and I were texting about this last week a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah, this is one where I just kind of shrug my shoulders and and put my hands in the air. I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> like I don't. Was there a rationale offered? I, you know, you sent me some stuff. I read up on it. I, I obviously heard about this when it happened, and I saw kind of the the stuff going down on Twitter. You know, with LeBron James defending Rich Paul in pretty hilarious ways, and lots of other people sort of weighing in with and asking asking some of the right questions. Right, like, but it. It seems to me, based on the, the the chatter on Twitter or the Twitter chatter, whatever I'm trying to say here, that Twitter the fear is if you have um, people representing or offering their services to prospective uh, to people who are thinking about uh, declaring for the draft, that there's a risk that they might get taken advantage of. Yep, and that yep. and that these sorts of rules might work to ensure that people aren't signing on with uh, grifters or con artists or, or people who are going to, who are going to take advantage of them or something like that. Is that, is that the, that's the, that's the best, that's the most charitable read I have for this rule. Yeah. And I think, I think when you read, I'm trying to find the NCAA statement, but I did read that last week and I did share it with you. That is their justification for this rule, or that was their justification for this rule. They were trying to be protective uh, or help protect yeah. uh, the players from these kind of predatory agents. Okay, so, so, sure. So just to approach this from sort of an argument construction <laughs> perspective, I'm yeah. fully on board with the idea of working to prevent con artists from uh, elbowing their way into professional sports, right? Right. This is, this is all, you know, <laughs> go watch Cameron... Uh, I was going to say Cameron Crowe. Is that right? Go watch Jerry Maguire. Is that Cameron Crowe? Mm-hmm. I believe so. Yeah, I think he wrote that. Go, go, go watch uh, Jerry Maguire, right? Which is this, what what are uh, sports agents into it for? Is it really for their the, the betterment of their clients or are they just in it in it for themselves? And I think we can think of, um, you know, modern day agents who are, who are we know by name, which is not that many, who, who maybe have a reputation for uh, being out for themselves and, and making sure they make a bunch of money as opposed to working in the interest of, of their, of their, uh, the people they represent. But back to what I was saying before to try to kind of deconstruct this argument. If I, I'm on board with this conclusion, let's, let's, let's work hard to make sure that people are represented by people who are actually trying to represent them and not take advantage of them. The question that I have is how does anything in, in this rule change work to ensure that? Right. And this was sort of the stuff that people were saying on Twitter. Why does, why does a four-year degree guarantee that you're not a con artist? Why does why does getting a bachelor's degree mean that you're not going to try and uh, screw somebody over? And and that's the, yeah, and that's the issue with it, right? Yeah, I mean, th- again, th- that's how the NCAA has kind of framed it as being protective and and saying that for exactly. Um, I don't need to I don't need to re-explain that. To me, that's very very wrong-headed, and there's intentionality to what they did 
and I, I was talking to John Reef, our buddy John Reef, about this last week. I think that intentionality can can easily be construed as as racism, um, or at least racially tinged. So you have this this thing that's happening, and then you have the framing of it, which would be uh, the protection of the players. And I think it's like the it's so clear that the frame doesn't match the intention that the criticisms are pretty easy to to take off. Like it's pretty easy to criticize the NCAA for this because their justification is just so weak. I mean, it's just so, It. I mean, what other way could you even, like that's just not, to me, saying that we're protecting players just like you said because just because a guy has a, a college degree means he's not going to be predatory? Like that doesn't even make sense. And so obviously the NCAA is, is going to get a bunch of pushback and yeah. eventually yesterday have to have to have to recant on this but i don't know i just the NCAA it just it's yet another example of how wrong-headed some of their decisions are yeah like i just don't fully understand like it's they're grasping at straws in order to kind of save college basketball if anything to me it, it shows that um college basketball is unwatchable except for for march madness a lot would argue and i and i would kind of agree with that in march madness we watch not so much for the quality of play more so for the storylines yeah no, right? that's drama and all of that yeah so story, I mean, absolutely so anyhow i so, mean i'm thinking yeah go ahead so so rich paul wrote um an op-ed for the uh the athletic that came out the 12th was that so yesterday and yeah, i basically yeah. everything i just said i i i saw floating on twitter was stuff that, that he said right so let me read just a little bit of this he wrote I actually support requiring three years of experience before representing a kid, testing the market. I can even get behind passing a test. However, requiring a four-year degree accomplishes only one thing, systematically excluding those who came from a world where college is unrealistic. Does anyone really believe a four-year degree is what separates an ethical person from a con artist, which is what I kind of um, said a second ago? Uh, and then he says one more thing. Let's also be clear that once the NCAA requires four-year degree for athletes, quote-unquote, testing the waters, it's only a matter of time until this idea is socialized, no longer questioned, and then more broadly applied. We all know how this works. Unfair policy is introduced incrementally so people accept it because it only affects a small group. Then the unfair policy quietly evolves into an institutional policy. I'm not sure what the technical term for that is because I didn't finish college, but I know it when I see it, which is uh, both really smart and really fucking funny if you ask mm -hmm. me, but, and, and I, I want to go back to the thing you said right before I uh, just read that snippet from uh, this Rich, all, Rich Paul op-ed. Um, and that is, uh, you were sort of talking about how the NCA walked back the rule change, but if you look closely, they didn't really, right? So a couple of days ago, they said, you have to have a bachelor's degree to represent these people. And then they couldn't roll that back. What they did was they said, or three years of experience, right? Okay. And so that's okay. what Rich Paul is saying, he, saying here is, just because they carved out an exception for him, right, as someone who has at least the three years of experience, what it does mean is that for everyone else going forward that's not grandfathered in by the three years of experience, they're going to have to have a college degree, mm -hmm. right? And so mm -hmm. that triggers the first part of his argument, which is what you're doing is creating this policy that doesn't affect everyone who's representing players right now, but does represent every future person who will, who will represent players by requiring them to have a college degree. And his argument is if that systematically excludes a whole bunch of people, basically in these, this op-ed, he makes the argument that you're taking out people for whom college is unrealistic, which he goes on to talk about how that's disproportionately uh, people of color, right? Like that, that there's, there's some, you know, uh, racial undertones to this policy that, that certainly need to be, to be thought about. Right. So if you think about 
this decision only from a cost benefit analysis perspective, it doesn't seem to me like it's going to do all that much to keep players from potentially being conned, right, or being represented by people who are unethical or unsavory. But it does seem like it will have pretty wide reaching implications for people who want to learn the business, right? And and, and actually, Rich Ball goes on to make that argument in his op-ed too, that the NCAA seems very keen on sort of saying, you can only do this if you have a college degree, but not very uh, interested in creating partnerships or pathways that will facilitate um, people getting that three years of experience who don't have a college degree, right? Like creating internships, for example. So, I mean, if you had to take one thing away from it, um, I wonder what that would be. I guess my one takeaway is that the this is yet another example of the of the NCAA not having the best interests of the actual student athlete at the center of their decision making. This was not about the student athlete. This was not about protecting them. This was about keeping um, people that they would call riffraff, right? Or or keeping and continuing to keep uh, the riffraff out of out of the fraternity that is, uh, you know, NCAA men's basketball, uh, and 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 the the relationship between the NCAA and the NBA and you know, I think I think oftentimes that riffraff, and I'm saying that in a very loaded way, is is not white. And this is this is kind of a, a policy centric way for the NCAA to to work out those bodies that he doesn't really want there. And I think that obviously that's a major major problem. And they're not going to admit that. Obviously, they're not going to. I think there's there's a lot of class uh, class based issues here as well as race ba- race based thing things you know privilege uh, uh, galore and the issues with privilege and all of that, but um, it just pisses me off because to go back to what I just said is is the NCAA you know ought to act with the student athlete at the center of its decisions, but I I don't see that I mean the student athlete has no say in the decisions that the NCAA makes the you know the student athlete has no voice and um, this to me is just a, a Another example of the NCAA doing what it wants to do to in an attempt to better govern student athletes towards being the kind of people that that the NCAA wants them to be. Does that I mean, what, what's your take? What's your one takeaway? Do you yeah. have one? I'm, I, for some reason, I just have like Scott Boris in my mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that it, it, if you could. Like, do you want to have a world where, and I'll be, I'll be totally honest here. I don't know that much and have not thought that much about the world of professional sports uh, agenting or whatever, you know, my, my, my most kind of prescient frame of, or point of reference is, is, uh, is, uh, uh, what's that movie I just said? The Cameron Crowe movie? Uh, uh, Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. Like, I don't, I just don't know that much about this, but I have to assume that there's some sort of move by kind of the deeper, uh, more, more entrenched agents or agencies to kind of fight against, um, young kind of up and comers, right. Which is, which is sort of what this sounds like. It's, you know, not, not Scott Boris per se, but the Scott Boris of the world may be feeling like they're losing clients to, you know, uh, to, to, to younger people, to up and comers, to people who don't have, necessarily a a, a a deep reputation for for being good agents for working with you know uh, agencies that have been around for for a long time and that in my mind i was i was just thinking like i wonder if there's a, either an official or more likely an unofficial sort of lobbying arm of those agents 
uh, or a collective of those agents who go to the NCAA and push for these sorts of rule changes because I'm struggling with this. It seems like a solution in search of a problem, right? Do, mm-hmm. Are there mm-hmm. does is the NCAA the NCAA pointing at at <laughs> places where athletes have been taken advantage of by by <laughs> by agents that don't have bachelor's degrees? Like it just seems yeah. totally contrived to me. And my fear is that there is a problem that they're just not pointing to it because it's a problem that we wouldn't agree is a problem, right? That, that the problem is, in fact, you know, a, a, a more diverse marketplace for agents that they're trying to push back against by creating, you know, really specific rules that that sort of guide prospective players to the same cast of characters that have always been there and prevent kind of a widening of that industry. I, and that's said based, that's total conjecture on my part. I don't know no, that's happening, I, but I suspect that's what's happening. Okay, they're, they're, that's probably one of the one of the reasonings. Uh, the yeah, part of the reason that they've done this, I think there's that. I think that there's trying to pull back the move of of players to the NBA early on. I don't know, trying to salvage the product of NCAA basketball. There's got to be several several things uh, at work here in that kind of choice. Um, but again, I think they're all wrong headed. I mean, sorry, I think this solution is probably the wrong-headed solution to all of those problems. Like, the issue with the NCAA, with the issue with NCAA basketball and the, and the product itself is not agents. It's not, it's not this thing. It's, it's probably not people leaving early either. You know, it's, it's, there's something else going on. There's coaches that are involved. I don't know, man. It's just, it frustrates me because having grown up and, and, you know, watching um, high quality college basketball in in January and February, you just don't get that anymore. I think you brought that up, you know, a few minutes ago. We were talking about something totally different. Um, we were talking about you know the end of the of the NFL season. Um, I want NFL gains popularity as things like college basketball becomes unwatchable in December, January, and February, and so it just again it just kind of goes to show me that whoever's making these decisions in in, in in the NCAA um, needs to be ousted. And if if the organization as a whole is going to fix anything, um, get some more innovative leaders in there because we're just, I'm just not seeing it. Just not seeing it. I want to read this article. We should, probably should have covered it. Um, there's an article about uh, the NCAA. Where the hell is it? Top recruit. Oh, um, shit. Uh, the title is NCAA president threatens California schools over state bill allowing college athletes to make money. Oh my God. Like, I don't know. I just, uh, this is, this is, God, the NCAA makes me so mad. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just Mark Emmert. I look at this guy and it's like how much of a disconnect between him and the student athletes he's supposed to represent or lead. I mean, he's a, he's a major part of this problem, if you ask me. Yeah. Things just got way ahead of the NCAA, man. Things just got way ahead of it. You know, we've talked ad nauseum about this shit on the show. Money got so big. TV rights got so big. The, the spread of NCAA content got so big. And the organization was not prepared for this. And this has been 20, 30 years in the making, and now we're seeing it. Now we're seeing the, the zit, the whitehead, right? We're seeing this motherfucker, <laughs> and um, it ain't good, dude. I don't know what happens, but I don't, I'm not seeing any any fixes coming down the pike. 
I'm not seeing any any return to the glory days of the NCAA that we talk about. The money just keeps getting bigger. If you consider that live sports are the last bastion of of of, of decent advertising prospects, you know, shit's gonna go there. It's it's I mean, and it, how much of this has to do with the with the rise of the NFL, or how much you know does the rise of the NFL have to do with this too? I mean, people like to be able to watch the NFL, see guys for the most part um you know acting and playing and working um but on through their by their own volition you know that they're they, they're choosing to put their bodies in the line and you know we talked about college football college basketball that's that's often not the case yes there is a choice to play there's a choice to go to college and to play but for a lot of these student athletes that's the only out that they have um oftentimes uh that you know, skin color matters there too. But I think, you know, there are a lot of places in this country where no matter what your skin color is going and, and having your college paid for is the only way that you're going to be able to go to college. That was, that was just kind of my riff. This just makes me so mad, yeah. man. I just read this shit. It just makes me so fucking mad. Well, I mean, the obvious irony of if, if the point of this is to protect college players, you can think of so many other places where the NCAA is obviously not concerned with player right. well-being or, you know, drafting policies that benefit players, et cetera. I mean, it's just, it's, it's almost like, but why can do you we make this, it, can you make Brian? this argument with a straight face that that's what really what you're concerned about? Cause it doesn't seem like that's what you're concerned about. But why do we accept it? Like why? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe my perspective is skewed because I would argue that the, the, middle of the road sports consumer the fan has paid a good amount of attention to things like the the steroid uh, era or or h you know uh, peds in baseball or to concussions in, in the nfl but for some reason i just don't see, I, I don't see that kind of attention being paid to these kinds of stories from the ncaa Yes, there's the occasional story that pops up about players getting paid and yada, yada, yada. But I, I really don't think uh, this is where we need to do a Nexus Lexus search or some shit um, of of uh, I don't see that same attention being paid to these kinds of stories. Do you, I mean, why? Why is that? Am I wrong? Do you do you do you think that they're getting as much attention? Uh, no. Well, that's I mean, that's kind of my point, I think, is that the explanation doesn't match up with, you know, the the evidence or the, the you know, the, the reasoning doesn't, doesn't, doesn't seem to stand to any sort of scrutiny. No, that it's a convenient, a convenient line of reasoning is we're really concerned about players getting taken advantage of. But once you're thinking about it at all, you're like, well, I, you need to explain why that does that. And then all the other kind of counter examples where you can, where you can point to the NCAA sort of, um, you know, being at, at the very least indifferent and at the worst sort of, <laughs> hostile towards the needs of student athletes. It just does. You can't, you can't, it's hard to square. <clears throat> it's, it's, it's almost as if internally it's run like a business and whether or not internally that's overt, whether or not you go in there and you work for the NCAA and you understand that this is a business. I don't think that really matters. I think that uh, that kind of ideology is at the core of the NCAA. Whether or not it's overt, I don't care, but it's there. And that kind of ideology just can't be beneficial for people who aren't getting paid. It's a very, it's a very, I mean, it is ex exploitative in overt, crazy ways. I mean, this is the kind of exploitation that 
I think Marx writes about in his criticism of, of capitalism more so than like, let me say this, let me, let me say this in a clearer way. It would be easier to take Marx, Karl Marx's theory of economics and, you know, in his criticism of capitalism and apply it to the NCAA than it would be to apply it to the NFL or to the NBA or, or to uh, uh, any other professional sport. Like the exploitation that he outlines is so clear in college athletics, particularly college football and basketball. And we're not doing anything to change it. Like, I don't, I mean, this is the, perhaps this is why things like unionization of college athletes is, is the solution. Maybe that's the thing that needs to happen. Um, there's just so many fucking issues, dude. And, and, and I guess, I mean, maybe, maybe it's, maybe we talk about it a lot too, cause, cause we read Deadspin or I read Deadspin a lot and Deadspin has, has really tried to make the NCAA a, one of its targets of criticism more so than you get on ESPN or even awful announcing or these kinds of things. But for good reason, it's just, it's just too bad. And I don't know what, what we can do to change it, but definitely consider it the next time you're watching college sports. You know, consider it at least the next time you, you want to criticize a college athlete for transferring schools or leaving early to go play professional. Like, they're not making shit. Yeah, they're getting a free college education, but how good is that education anyway when you have to practice seven hours a day and you're not even in the classroom? Dude, I mean, I think you're starting to see the, the bad example of this is, you know, the, the younger ball brothers. But uh, there was another top recruit uh, from last year's high school class who mm-hmm. went to play in somewhere in i don't know somewhere in europe yeah yeah but i think i think what you what you'll realize is that you know college basketball is not the only option and it's not the only show in town no and there there are ways that you can circumvent it that might be more beneficial for you as an individual financially or you know if you anticipate being a one and done etc especially if they change it to a three-year rule or something like that I, I suspect you would see more players saying, I'm not going to go play college for free for three years when I'm NBA caliber. Now I'll go play in China for three years and make money and then I'll come back to the NBA or I won't. You know what I mean? And that's, and that's, that's then at least a financial, a financial consideration. Right. But because, because right now effectively the NBA can force players to sort of sit on a shelf um, and, and get developed at no cost to them. Right. In, in college and at total risk to those players, the risk is, you know, that they're foregoing making money or that they're, you know, it costs them money to go to college, even though they're, they're on scholarship or that they risk getting injured or their stock goes down for some reason or you know, a, a billion things could happen when you're in college. Right. So, I, I mean, I do think I do think you'll you'll start to see more players, particularly if you see incre- an increase in what different types of regulations that make it more difficult for you to transition to the NBA. And I think this is one of them, right? This might be something where players say, this is something that I don't want to have to deal with. So I'll just go someplace else. Right. It's, you don't, you probably don't have to go through this NCAA regulation. If you're not playing the NCAA, right. You don't have to worry about this weird certification stuff. I was, I'm, I'm actually paying attention to you, believe it or not. I'm just trying to think trying to think of my response to this it's the assembly is just so paternalistic too like it's and it's it's not forward thinking and this it, we could apply the same criticisms of major league baseball as a brand that we to the ncaa like i just don't understand how they can be so non-innovative i don't understand how, what they wouldn't why they wouldn't bring 
former student athletes on board, you know, I, I, these are just bad business people, right? I mean, Mark Emmert might be a really shitty business person. It's, well, it, they're not how, doing, they're how, not, how much innovation do you have to do or how, how, how good of a business person do you have to be if you effectively have a monopoly? You don't. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, yeah. Fuck, there's so much money in March Madness. There's so much money in college football. I, I, I've made this argument. Anyone who listens to this podcast knows what I'm going to say next. If you go back to eliminate the NCAA and go back to uh, just conferences, then this is over. Yeah. You, you could have competition within conferences, right? Mm-hmm. If the Big Ten was going to say, we're only going to play Big Ten games, we're not going to play anybody else, and inside of the Big Ten, we're going to pay players, right? <laughs> or let them sell their jersey rights or whatever, then then someone would say, I'm more apt to sign with a Big Ten team than I am an SEC team because they won't let me do that, Yeah. right? And that yeah. forces the SEC's hand. They're saying, well, do we want to be competitive to sign the best players in the country or do we want to stick to our – you know, our, our principles and not allow players to be paid or something like that. Right. So at least then there's, there's competition between, between these markets, right. The, then, you know, the, 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 uh, the big 12 or whatever, it's big 12 still exists, the big East, whatever, a different conference could say, you know, we require you to play for three years before you go to the NBA or some such nonsense. It, you could have competition between these and, and, and see what choices players make kind of in response to those. But in the status quo, they don't have they, the, the alternative is pretty limited. In, in particular, in this case, a lot of these players who are impacted by the Rich Paul rule are not the type of players who are probably if, – if, if you're in a situation where you want to retain an agent to figure out whether or not you should test your waters in the – test the, the draft waters or whatever, then you're probably not a big enough talent to just go abroad when you're 17 and play in China or something like that. Right. You're probably a bubble player or something. But if you had conferences who were willing to – you know, to, to do it. Listen, it'd be really interesting if you, if you got a bunch of colleges together that said, we're going to form a conference that exists outside the purview of the NCAA and we're going to pay players. That'd be really interesting. If you found found 10 or 12 or 14 huge schools and you're like, we're going to run our own athletics. We're going to have our own football league. We're going to have our own, you know, baseball league, basketball league, et cetera. We're only going to compete against each other and we're going to pay our athletes. I wonder how many would bounce. You know, this is the 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 equivalent of the XFL or the AFL or the what you know whatever you want whatever you want to call it, and, and and perhaps it would have the same fate. But at least then you have some sort of way for um, to to sort of to sort of check what what seems like the monopolistic practices of the of the NCAA. I I think if anything, it shows just how ignorant these employees of the higher ed industry are about higher education in the contemporary moment too. So I agree with everything you said. And, and, and yes, I think there's this added element or this added critique that we could place and and, and on, on this thing and say that when they are defending education as the reason why the things are the way they are, that defense is no longer valid because you can find different ways to educate your players. You can find these student athletes, right? You can find different ways to educate your student athletes. You can find, you can make money. You can have them work X amount of hours a day and they can still get a good college education. It is just, I get, that's my point. Like they're not being creative enough in the ways that they could ensure that you can still get a good education. That can still be the focus of the thing, but we're also going to, you know, change the system and maybe pay you. I don't know if that's clear, but I'm thinking like, 
a lot of the arguments that I've that I've read in defense of the NCAA as it exists now is education and the quality education, all of that. And I just don't think, again, they're not getting a college education. The vast majority of these students, I don't think are getting a college, a good college education because of the amount of time they have to practice and be in training and yada, yada, yada. If the NCAA and if these institutions, Big Ten, any, any, any division one football or basketball institution were really concerned with the players and they really wanted to do them a benefit, they would figure out a, a better way to have them produce a product on the field and be educated, give them a degree that matters. So I guess to kind of circle back to what I had said a couple minutes ago, to me, Mark Emmert is not just a shitty business person, but he's also a really bad college administrator. He's really, really bad at, at, at seeing, reading the tea leaves, seeing the future and figuring out just a better way to, to serve these student athletes because it's just not happening there. I don't know. There's, there's so many issues. And to me, I guess, you know, to sum it all up, so many issues and they're going about solving these issues and these problems in really, really wrong ways, really, really wrong ways in ways that other places are figuring out. Like you could, you could, you could take online learning being done at who does it really well Yale right and and you could say well how did you do this because we want to we want to find a way to integrate this for our college football players who are on the road you know x amount of days a week because they're traveling what do we need to do like they're just not even thinking creatively about how to solve these problems not just about education but about money and how to split up money and about how to have representation, uh, how these players can have representation, and all of this. It's just, I, there's, it's just, it's so complex. It's a complexity of, 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 a sh it's a shit show. It's a shit well, show. And, and to, to, to genuinely engage in that, in that process of, of thinking about how to, how to best serve your students, but also maintaining the, the sports and the model that they currently exist. I think you have to be open to the possibility that the answer is that professionalized sports at the college level and, uh, academic institutions are incompatible yeah that could be too yeah for sure because i kind of think they are yep that's an excellent point i think i think they are i think uh amateur sports and college are compatible but yeah. professional sports and college are not and unfortunately i think college football college basketball are just straight up professional sports at this point yeah yeah they're just, they're just minor league but they're pro sports <laughs> the only difference being they don't get paid I mean, certainly, right? Historically, there was this moment when college athletics made the decision to, you know, move out of amateurism and towards this modern student athlete model. I would like to, I like, I would have liked to have been in the room when that decision was made. I would like well, to. I, I bet you it wasn't a singular decision. You know? No, but I think, I, no. This no. is Rich Paul's argument, right? That's not the way it happens, is, is that it's little kind of incremental changes that don't seem to affect the whole all that much. And then mm -hmm. they become the norm. It's, it's a little bit more of a creeper effect, a little more insidious. I would, I, I would have, I would like to have the notes like say of the meeting uh, amongst big East eighties, when in the late 1980s, they decided to make a deal with ESPN to air their basketball games. Like what, sure. you know what I mean? Like, you would sure think that somebody brought up money, right? And the money that would be made. And also somebody brought up the student athlete and the player. Because that's, that's I mean, as much as the initial televisualization of college football mattered in, in this history, to me, that's, that's that moment 
matters a lot. Like that's yeah. the first time we have an entire conference selling the rights to its games to ESPN, which is, I mean, ESPN is a stand-in for modern sports media, maybe just modern media, quite honestly. And that changes everything. That changes every. That's like free agency in baseball, dude. Yeah. That's like the moment, right? I know we hate to point out to one moment. There's all kinds of things that come together, but I mean, that's that's a big thing. But all right, I've got to go get a new computer for my office. I'm hey. due up for a new computer. Upgrade. So that, hey, upgrade. That was a really good conversation today. I hope everybody stayed tuned and, and enjoyed it. Um, we'll uh, we'll keep you posted about the about the NFL pick 'em. Uh, are you doing fantasy football? You are, right? Um, I think I'm doing one. Yeah. Are you running your pool, your own your own fantasy football league? I, I have not sent out any emails about that. I guess I should 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 get on it. Yeah, tis the season, my friend. Tis the season. All right, you know, my buddy. Like knocking down my door to tell me to turn it on. So do maybe people don't care. I'm, I had so much fun playing uh, daily last year. I may just do that. Yeah, it was enjoyable for sure. All right, pal. You have a fantastic day, and we'll talk later. Okay. Later, dude. See ya.